Family, let me encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and look with me to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 12, as we return to this narrative about God's relationship with His people. Last Sunday, of course, we celebrated Easter, Resurrection Sunday, and reflected out of the Gospel of John on Jesus' resurrection and the concept of resurrection. Today we return back to the book of Exodus, where we will be until our time together this summer through the Psalms. If you've not been with us through the journey, we are at this section in the book of Exodus, in Exodus chapter 12, where God has given to his people the instructions on how they are to leave their captivity, their slavery, Israel, Egypt has been, sorry, Israel has been in Egypt for some 400 plus years. They've been enslaved. In chapter 2 of Exodus, we saw this great cry to the Lord for the Lord to redeem the people of God. And the Bible tells us that the Lord heard, he saw, he remembered his covenant with his people. And from that point on, the Lord has acted. And part of the Lord's act was calling to him, Moses, of course you remember the narrative. Moses isn't quite sure that he wants this task. He kind of rebuts the Lord and says, I'm really not your guy and I can't speak that well. And God says, no problem, let's, let's call your brother to help you, Aaron. And so Moses and Aaron now represent God to the people and God to Pharaoh. And we saw this journey from chapter four up until this point of this battle between Pharaoh and and God. Pharaoh doesn't want to yield. Pharaoh doesn't want to obey God. And because of his disobedience, he and the nation of Israel suffer consequences of sin. We saw the plagues that were poured out on the nation of Egypt culminating in chapter 11 into chapter 12 with the death of all the firstborn because they refused to obey God's instruction of placing the blood on the lintel and the doorpost. And so the death angel came by and wrecked havoc among the Egyptians. And because of that, now Pharaoh, uh, or because of that, Israel is in the position, they're ready, they've made preparation. Chapter 12, Moses and Aaron have prepared the people for their exodus out of Egypt. In chapter 12, verses 43 through 51, are not in a chronological manner. They're not given to us in a chronological way. In other words, the instructions that are given here are instructions that would, in a chronological way, have already taken place. For example, this text This narrative this morning in chapter 12, verses 43 through 51, is a narrative on the instructions of Passover. Well, if you remember from two weeks ago, guess what's happened? Passover's already taken place. The nation of Israel, they've already began the process of of moving out of Egypt. So this text is not a chronological text. It's like Moses took a time out and said, okay, for future generations, if you will, for future right relationship with God, I want the people of God to make sure they rightly understand 
what it is God expects and anticipates of them as they outwardly observe for generations to come Passover, a joyful expression of remembering what God has accomplished on their behalf. Here in verses 43 through 51, we learn this lesson. God calls his people to remember the past sacrifice for present obedience. God calls his people to remember the past sacrifice for present obedience. You see, friends, what God has accomplished in the past is not simply or only a recounting of God's acts in history. The Bible is not only a record of God's acts. It's not only a historical recounting of what God has done. In other words, it's not just so you and I could read and say, I wonder exactly at what point along the Red Sea. It must be right here. And let's, let's use all these funds and all these archaeological expeditions to see if we might be able to find uh, Egyptian artillery at the bottom of the Red Sea at this moment. No. God has recounted these historical acts. God is calling the people of Israel, and by extension you and me as his people, to remember his past acts for a very specific purpose. So that you and I today might walk in obedience to him. So what we have, verses 43 through 51, is a rather straightforward recounting on behalf of Moses and Aaron to the nation of Israel of exactly what God anticipates and expects as it concerns the Passover and the celebration of the Passover. But you're going to notice in this text, if you've not already read it, that it's not only intended for the nation of Israel to know and understand. Who else must know and understand this Passover? Anyone who desires to celebrate it. And so there's rules and regulations given in this text of Scripture for even the foreigner, the sojourner, who might join with the people of God to celebrate what God has accomplished through the sacrifice of these Passover lambs here in this narrative. So let's read this text of Scripture together and see what it is exactly God anticipates and expects for His people to rightly obey Him in celebrating Passover. Verse 43, And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, These are the instructions for the Passover. This is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it. But every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. No temporary resident, this word translated in many of our Bibles here in verse 45, no foreigner 
is a different word than the word foreigner that we see in verse 43. Hence, I gave you the translation, no temporary resident. No temporary resident or hired servant may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. Every single Israelite shall keep it. Verse 48, if a sojourner shall sojourn with you, if a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person, person shall eat of it. There shall be one Torah, one law for the native, and that same law for the stranger who sojourns among you. Look at verse 50 and 51. And all the people of Israel did as. This word as in the Hebrew is emphasized, and so you see that in your English Bibles. Most of our English Bibles say, just as, or exactly as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. Moses and Aaron, through the Lord, give a number of commands, instructions, as it relates to the celebration of Passover in this text. And I'd like to look at those in three categories. One, just in general. What are the general regulations? What are the general rules? What are the general laws that should be followed? And then more specifically, I'd like to look at that in terms of who specifically may eat, who may celebrate, who may participate, and thirdly, who absolutely cannot eat, cannot celebrate, cannot participate in any measurable way. Let's begin by looking at some of these general rules that have been given for us. Notice verse 46. The first general rule that we see listed here is, this is a celebration that must be eaten inside the house where the meal has been prepared. Look what the Bible says. It shall be eaten in one house. So one of the general principles that's going to apply is that this meal must be eaten on the inside of the house. This isn't a meal to be eaten outside, or as we used to do when I was growing up in a Baptist church, we had dinner on the grounds. You remember those days? This is not dinner on the grounds. This is not dinner outside. This is dinner inside your house. But you'll remember from earlier in chapter 12, the Lord had already given this command, and not every Israelite owned his or her own house. There were 
there for sure would have been a number of, of single people. So this idea reflected here is that this community, whether that is one single family that had enough people uh, to celebrate it in one house, or that I had a house and had two or three other people who were potentially even living on the inside uh, with me, we were to celebrate that in that unit, in that home, in that house. So one of the general principles is it must be eaten inside the house where it is prepared. Also notice what verse 46 says, no flesh shall be taken outside. Look at verse 46 as well. No bones of the Passover lamb were to be broken. Of course, this goes back to the concept. What type of lamb was to be pursued for the sacrifice in the first place? A spotless, right? A perfect lamb. So the concept of this spotless, perfect lamb continues in these general descriptions of what should take place. So they must carefully with skill, prepare for this Passover meal, but not only prepare for it, they must carefully engage in consuming the meal. They couldn't be haphazard about it. They couldn't wake up early in the morning and say, oh, you know what, I completely forgot. Today is Passover, hurry. Somebody go get the spotless lamb out there and let's throw him on top of the grill real quick and, and warm him up, quick, get the knife out. Let's carve this thing up. We've only got 30 more seconds. No, great intentionality. Great preparation. Great focus. had to take place in order to celebrate Passover. No bones shall be broken, verse 46. Look at verse 47. There's another general rule, principle. Who shall keep it? All of Israel shall keep it. All of Israel shall observe it. Every single person who is in covenant relationship with God must actively participate in the celebration and the observance of Passover. No one had an excuse. No one had a relief, if you will, to not participate. Every single Israelite must participate. And notice the last general rule. It occurs, or law, statute, instruction, verse 49. The last general rule is there was only one rule. There was only one Torah. There was only one law from God, and that one law from God was to govern how every single person participated or was excluded from participation in Passover. There are not multiple laws. One family didn't have to frantically make sure that they were following a certain tradition that had been handed down by them. So the Baptist family 
had to make sure they were following the right Baptist way, right? And the other Baptist family living next door didn't have to make sure that they were following the other right Baptist way over and opposed to the Presbyterian family that lived next door, you see. There was one law, one Torah, one word from God that governed everyone's responsibility toward the observance of Passover. Now let's quickly look at a few of these texts that note who is eligible to participate. Who may observe? Who may celebrate? Who may join in? Participate in this incredible observation of what God has accomplished. Look at verse 43. And the Lord said, sorry, verse 44, we get the first who can eat, but every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. We already know that there is a mixed crowd, if you will, among the nation of Israel. And think of Israel, and we'll look at this in a few moments from Romans chapter 2. Think of Israel, if you will, in, in two ways. Both an ethnic group of people and a religious group of people. Look at verse 38 of chapter 12. Verse 38 of chapter 12 speaks of this religious group of people, the Israelites. A mixed multitude also went up. In other words, it wasn't only ethnic Israel who had an opportunity to be considered as part of the people of God. It wasn't only ethnic Israel who had an opportunity to have a right relationship with God. And we know this is God's design all the way back from the very beginning. We go back to God's instructions to Abram in Genesis chapter 12 and repeated in chapter 15 and chapter 17. Again, we see that God's design in calling the nation of Israel to himself would be that that nation of Israel would rightly represent who is God to the nations and that the nations, the goyim, those who were not Israel would become Israel by faith and trust and obedience toward God. So we already know, chapter 12, verse 38, that there's this mixed group, there's this, there's this mixed crowd, there's this diverse ethnic group of people who are singular in their focus toward worship of one true God. And who can be part of that group? Israel, in verse 43, the sojourner. Who may participate? The slave that is bought for money. The idea here is, just as Israel obviously was enslaved and in so many ways had become part of the culture in, in Egypt, Israel herself would have also had, had slaves. These, these would have been people who would, in large measure, been considered part of the family. This family can participate with one exception. What is the exception? They must have the sign of the covenant. 
And what was that outward sign of the covenant? Circumcision. So a slave who is owned by the nation of Israel, they may participate so long as they have been circumcised. Look at verse 48. If a sojourner shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover, what must take place? All the males in his home must be circumcised. Now, isn't this interesting? How might we be able to snuff out, if you will? How might we be able to determine whether one who is not part of Israel, they're a sojourner, how might we be able to determine if they are really serious about following Yahweh? How can we determine if this sojourner from a foreign land is really serious about worship of this one true God? Notice what the text says. Every single male in his home must be circumcised. No exceptions. Three quarters of them are, I would like to participate. Can't do it. Sojourners who are slaves, have been bought, so long as they're circumcised, may participate. Sojourners, so long as every male under their roof, under their command, under their charge, is circumcised, then they shall participate. And then look at verse 48 as well. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all the males be circumcised, then he may come near and keep it. He shall be considered a native of the land at that moment. So what brought that person in to be part of the people of God? Circumcision. So who may participate? All of the nation of Israel. They must participate. Every slave that has been bought by the nation of Israel who has been circumcised, they may participate. And every sojourner whose entire household has been circumcised may participate. Let's look at the rules that negate one's participation. And notice, in Moses' and Aaron's recounting, this is how the narrative begins. It begins with those who may not participate. Verse 43, these are the instructions of the Passover no foreigner shall eat of it. And the concept of foreigner here is, is what you and I would understand foreigner to be. Not somebody that is sojourning, not somebody that is in some measurable way participating with the nation of Israel. This is somebody that is from outside the house of, of Israel. This is a person who uh, lives in a different country, and they might just simply be passing through. They're not a native in any measurable way. No foreigner shall eat of it, eat of it in any measurable way. Notice next, verse 
44, no temporary resident. Sorry, verse 45, no temporary resident, no foreigner. Here translated temporary resident. In other words, the idea is there is a foreigner who has come in and is um, working for a period of time. He's not completely sold all of his possessions and moved from his foreign country to work and live among the Israelites. He's just here for a temporary period of time. He might work in Baton Rouge for a season, and when apple plucking season comes back around, he might be in Washington State plucking apples. They're moving. They're temporary. They're not permanent. Not only that, look at what the next says. No hired servant. This concept of hired servant conjures up something more than the temporary resident who's just working on a temporary basis. This would be a more permanent resident, a more permanent hired servant. None of those people may may eat of it. No day laborer, we might say, may participate. And verse 48, no one who is uncircumcised. So these are the general rules that govern the totality of the Passover. These are the specific rules of who may eat and who may not eat. And what are we to conclude having read this simple listing of instructions from God to the nation of Israel? We are first to remember that God is calling his people to remember a past sacrifice for a present expression of obedience. This is what God is anticipating and expecting on behalf of his people. But a few points of application. Number one, notice the clarity that God gives us in this passage of Scripture. The clarity of what God requires for people. As noted a few moments ago, under the general application, verse 49, there is one Torah, there is one law that governs God's anticipation and expectation for not only the nation of Israel, but all people who might participate. Friends, in the same way that there is one Torah, that there is one law, that there is one word from God that governs how the people of Israel and others who might participate should follow, so too is there one word of God that governs how you and I and the foreigner and the sojourner and the neighbor and the pagan and the enemy of God must follow in order to walk rightly with God today. God has spoken with clarity for how you and I are to walk in relationship with him. There is one law for the native and that same law for the stranger. Verse 49. Secondly, another point of application, 
outward expressions. Outward expressions of faith. In this text of scripture, what is that outward expression or sign? Circumcision. Outward expressions of faith are important. Outward expressions of faith are important. Circumcision, the outward expression, was necessary in order to participate rightly among the people of God. And in the same way, friends, outward expressions of faith are still important. What do we call those? Obedience. As I said a moment ago, this is what God is wanting you and me to see. We are to remember a past sacrifice for present obedience. We should express our obedience in outward ways. For example, children, the Bible says to you in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1, 2, and 3, that you are to do what? Obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. What is God calling for there? An outward expression, right? He wants to see it. He wants them to, he wants them to express it. What does Jesus say to us in John chapter 15? Here are the words from Jesus in John chapter 15 as he is talking about the commands and statutes of, of the Lord. John chapter 15, verse 14. You are my friends if you what? Do what I command. What has God commanded us to do? Love our enemies. What has Jesus called us to do? Proclaim the gospel. What has Jesus called us to do? Love one another. See, friends, in the same way that an outward expression of faith was important for the nation of Israel, so too are outward expressions of faith important for you and me. And in fact, this is the balance that James has struck in the book of James. How do we communicate our faith? How do we show others that we are genuinely part of the community of faith? Through our actions. Through our works. This is what Paul is getting at in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, as he gives us this beautiful communication of, of faith and grace. And we've been saved by, by grace through faith for what purpose? Verse 8, 9, and 10. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what purpose? For good works. As you think about your life, friend, as a follower of Christ, what outward signs are you displaying today? What about this past week? Take a moment and reflect on your life this past week. 
In what way or ways did you express genuine faith and trust in God? Were you patient? Were you kind? Did you have joy? Did you have peace? Did you share Christ with someone? But this text reminds us that not only are outward signs or expressions important, but it's not the most important. The most important is not an outward expression of circumcision. It's an inward expression of circumcision. A circumcision of the heart. Romans chapter 2, Paul drives this point home as he seeks to communicate what exactly is a true Israelite, who exactly has faith and trust and hope in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hear the word of the Lord in Romans chapter 2, verse 27. Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. Verse 29, but a Jew is one inwardly and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. So what is circumcision of the heart? Paul would go on to argue in his first example, his first expression of circumcision of the heart would be to point back, point back to Abraham. And how was Abraham made right with God? By faith. By faith. See, friends, we will never rightly outward express our faith if we've never internally had that faith applied to our hearts, to our minds, to our lives. This is the call of the gospel. This is why Christ, our Passover lamb, has ultimately been sacrificed. This is why Jesus went to the cross so that you and I might have a right relationship with God through faith and by faith. Has your heart been circumcised today? Have you trusted in Christ? Have you repented of your sins and turned to Jesus? Have you, as the Scripture says, confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead? This is 
what God is calling us to reflect on and to remember the sacrifice that he, through Christ, has accomplished on our behalf and applied to our hearts only through faith. Outward expressions are good, but outward expressions mean nothing if that expression hasn't been applied internally. Signs externally and internally are important. Clarity is what God has given to us. But notice next about Passover. The concept of Passover is universal in scope. Passover is universal in its appeal. It's not only limited to the nation of Israel. Who could participate in Passover? Who could join in Passover? Who could celebrate Passover? Every single person who had rightly responded to God's clear, revealed word in obedience through circumcision. Passover is a universal appeal. And as we think about Passover in this text, the narrative of Passover in the New Testament is the totality of the story of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And friends, the narrative of Jesus' Passover, likewise, is a universal appeal for all to believe. But don't conflate a universal appeal with universal salvation. For there is no such thing as universal salvation. The Passover of God's sacrificial lamb through God can only, like the Passover in this text, be celebrated by those who rightly respond in obedience to God's call to believe, to trust in Jesus. Did you hear the text a few moments ago that we read from John chapter 19? We read it at the beginning of our time of worship. John chapter 19 is a reflection on on Jesus and his sacrifice. And John writes there that he has given this to us so that we may believe. This is the universal call of the gospel, that people might repent of their sins and trust in Christ. And friends, it's one of the many reasons while we gather on a weekly basis to be reminded of Christ's sacrifice so that in response we might leave from this place and take this universal message, this universal appeal, and as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that we would be messengers of reconciliation, communicating the ministry of reconciliation that Christ has accomplished. God, through us, making his appeal. And what is that appeal? Be reconciled to God. Would you trust today in Christ? Would you today be reconciled 
to God. Ruth and Naomi set for us as well this example. Was Ruth part of Israel? No, you know the story so well. Ruth expresses this great loyalty to Naomi, even though Naomi is like every mother-in-law, get away. Go. Look what Ruth says. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And don't miss it. Your God shall be, whose God? My God. Ruth becomes part of the people of God through a common confession of faith in exactly who God is. And look at this image of Christ's sacrifice, verse 46a. Sorry, 46b at the end. And you shall not break any of his bones. And what does John tell us in John chapter 19? John chapter 19 is a reflection back on Exodus chapter 12, verse 46. What is one of the ways that we know that Jesus is our Passover lamb? Not one of his bones was broken. And not one of his bones was broken, friends, because Jesus was, in every measurable way, the single, sole, only, perfect, spotless Lamb of God who could literally take away himself the sins of the world. The goat and the scapegoat at Passover, the lamb at Passover, couldn't accomplish it. But Jesus, through his sacrifice, accomplishes for you and me what only he and he alone could do. Sixth, the implication of this text of Scripture Circumcision is the outward expression of faith. And by the way, friends, we too have a New Testament outward expression of faith. In case you missed it, you will notice on the very front of this worship guide, I know we don't have a sign out front, so you, maybe you showed up this morning and you say, I don't know what kind of church this is. Have no idea, but it has a steeple. It must be a church. I'm going to help you out. I'm going to bring you on a journey in case you missed it. This is Woodlawn what? What is the New Testament outward expression of an inward act of the Spirit of God. Man, you guys are smart. Baptism. Baptism is the New Testament expression of faith. Hear me out, 
and hear me charitably, in case you're here this morning and you've not been compelled by a right reading of the text of Scripture. In the same way that one could not participate in the celebration of Passover, in the same way that one could not be affirmed as being a member of the covenant community of faith by not being circumcised, so too is it true through the New Testament. There can be no assurance of salvation apart from a right outward expression of faith through baptism. Now, pastor, are you telling me I'm going to hell because I've never been baptized? I didn't say that at all. I don't believe that. There are plenty of God-fearing, God-honoring people that many of you know, and even a church or two along Church Row here on Jones Creek, that don't faithfully follow the New Testament and this outward expression of baptism. For example, our Presbyterian friends. Do we want to look at our Presbyterian friends and say, you're going to hell? No. But we believe that the Bible clearly communicates and teaches that the one way we know who is and who is not a believer is through the initial act of baptism. In other words, friends, if Jesus were to walk into this building today, his question for you would not be, when did you trust in me? His question for you would be, when were you baptized? Baptism is the New Testament's outward expression of an inward change. And this is why Jesus himself so passionately compels and commands you and me to take the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world. And what is the expression of the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world? Baptism. Baptism. So baptism is our entrance into the community of faith, but what is the act that God has given to you and me to regularly celebrate Passover? In other words, what is the New Testament expression of Passover? The Lord's Supper. Now, don't get angry at me, friends. It's happened a few times. We read a statement every week that we celebrate the Lord's Supper and we say a number of truth claims. For example, we say that the Lord's Supper is only intended for people who have trusted in Christ and have been what? 
baptized by immersion. Why do we require baptism by immersion to celebrate the Lord's Supper? To reflect upon the sacrifice of Christ. Baptism is the sole, only New Testament sign of faith. So in the same way that we don't baptize unless you've trusted in Christ, neither do we extend an invitation for you to participate in the Lord's Supper if you have not been baptized, because the Lord's Supper is only for believers. And how do we know who is and who is not a believer? Baptism. Baptism is the outward expression. So friend, perhaps you're here today and you've trusted in Christ. We don't discount that. We don't minimize it. We look forward to spending all of eternity with you celebrating the person of Christ. But it's why I say to you that you should take no hope or no assurance. Why? Baptism is that sign of assurance that God has given us that I, that you, are in covenant relationship with the people of God. And lastly, celebrating Christ's sacrifice is a means of unity. Did you see that in the text of Scripture? Who is to participate? All of the nation of Israel. Who is the nation of Israel? All who have expressed an outward sign of obedience through circumcision. See, friends, when we gather on Sunday mornings and we participate in the Lord's Supper, it's not an act of an individual. It's not an individualized act. And by the way, neither was the Passover in Exodus chapter 12. Notice it was a communal act to be done in the context of a home with a, with a gathering of a group of people. The Lord's Supper is not designed to be an individual expression of faith in the context of your home or wherever else. It's designed to be celebrated in community, in context with the people of God in church. And in the way in which baptism is the sign of our entrance into the family of faith, the Lord's Supper is a regular communication to you and to me, that we are still part of the community of faith. Every Sunday we celebrate the Lord's Supper. It is as though we are shouting to one another, you are a believer. We are a believer. It's though you're turning next to your neighbor that you're seated to and saying, I affirm your faith in Christ. It is a means of Unity. I said lastly, 
but I mean lastly now. It's not only a sign of unity. It's intended to elicit obedience in you and me. Verse 50 and 51, and all the people of Israel, here's a summary statement. All the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded. And on that day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their host. The Lord's Supper. Us reflecting on a past act of sacrifice is intended to sow into your heart and my heart and to my mind and to your mind and to your feet and to my feet a present right now at this moment today expression of obedience. Are you walking faithfully with God today, friend? When you gather every Sunday and you leave this place, are you more obedient Monday than you were on Saturday? Are you more obedient today than you were five years ago? See, friends, this is why gathering with the people of God is so important in the heart and the lives of those who by faith have trusted in Christ. We reflect on Christ's past sacrifice for present expression of obedience. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for the revelation of your word. We thank you, God, that you have sown into our hearts and lives through your word the need to be regularly reminded of what you have accomplished on our behalf. And so, God, we remember today We remember what you have done, and we thank you. Friend, would you take a few moments where you're seated this morning and respond to the preaching of God's word? If you're a believer today, would you thank God where you're seated for the sacrifice that he has accomplished on your behalf? Would you thank God that Christ suffered on your behalf. Did you thank God that he was crucified? Would you thank God that he rose Jesus from the grave? And as you thank him for that, would you ask him this morning where you're seated? to increase your obedience toward Him. Would you ask the Spirit of God just to remind you even now where you're seated this morning of ways that you need to express better obedience? As God shows you and recalls to you those areas of your life where you need to express greater obedience, would you commit to him right now where you're seated that you'll do it? Would you pray for the unity of the body of Christ at Woodlawn?
Would you work toward that? Friend, if you're here and you've never trusted in Christ, we would plead with you to trust in Christ, to believe in Jesus, to trust in him as the only perfect, spotless, sacrificial lamb who died in your place, who atoned for your sins. In just a few moments, we're gonna stand and corporately respond to the preaching of God's word. As we sing, perhaps you're here today and you have questions about what it means to trust in Christ. Myself and Pastor Travis will be standing down front. This will be an opportunity for you to ask us what it means to trust in Christ. We'll be glad to share that with you. But friend, you don't have to walk forward and speak to one of us. Please feel free to turn to someone seated next to you. There are plenty of people around you who would delight in sharing with you how you can trust in Christ. Perhaps you'd like for one of us to pray with you that the truths of this text might indeed be evident in your life over this next week, that you would walk this next week with a greater sense of obedience. We would delight in shepherding your heart by praying for you to walk faithfully with God. Or thirdly, maybe God has impressed it upon your heart that this is a congregation in which you need to be connected to live out your life on mission with him. This would be an opportunity for you to express your interest and being part of this faith family. God, as we respond to you now, might our responses be pleasing to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?